Today's episode is quite different because we will unpack the CJBS MBA 2023 Employment Report. We'll look at the big trends and what it means for you as an individual thinking about your own career transition. To help us make sense of all of this, I have a colleague and a dear friend, Sadia Cuthbert, who is also the director of the careers team here at CJBS. Welcome, Sadia. Hi, Conrad. Hi, how are you? Good, good to yeah. be here. Okay. So, Sadia, do you want to start by telling us a bit more about what are the headlined things on the, uh, from the employment report? Well, the employment report, which just got published um, about a month ago right now, was very encouraging for us, actually, for last year. We had some fantastic numbers. Once again, I must say, uh, after the uh, long um, period of COVID, um, etc., we've been able to go back to our previous numbers and sort of see uh, how fantastically the MBAs have done uh, in getting and securing, securing their jobs. We had 94% um, employed after, accepted and employed after, uh, within three months of finishing their MBA. And that was really very encouraging, um, once again, because it has been a little bit of a difficult time, as we all know, about uh, with COVID um, around. So that's been quite critical. Last year was a fantastic start to the year. Uh, and we had, as, as you all know, a lot of uh, recruitment happening. People hadn't uh, been recruiting for a while. They came in, uh, pent up demand, etc. So uh, there was a lot of interest. And we started off, I think, uh, seeing a phenomenal burst of energy from uh, consulting firms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really uh, what carried a lot of the uh, you know, workforce along. The M&E activity was strong as well. Um, so there was really positive air. Um, so we've had some really good results. I can walk you through them. We have had um, a, a significant number of students joining industry once again, uh, but actually they've been overtaken by a number of students, like about 29, 30% going into consulting. 30% have gone into finance once again, which is kind of stable for us. Um, so this has been a bit of a shift from industry into consulting, and that's also more towards M&A and general management consulting. Great stuff, Sadia. And before we go on, um, let's take a look at, let's say a shout out to some of the people who are watching today. So Mohammed from Malaysia, Mahima's watching from India, Vasha from Dehadrun, I don't know where that one is. Uh, Tubo is watching from Singapore, hi. Victor from Singapore as well, so it's quite late in the day for you, thanks so much for watching. Uh, Jose is from the Philippines, Vimal the UK, uh, Vasha from India, Terry's from Hong Kong, someone's watching from Dubai, and Ankisha's from India. So remember, you know, just put in, you can use the comments to um, put your questions for Sadia in terms of anything that you want, to, want us to look at. Um, so Sadia, you talked about the uh, shift from industry into consulting. How have people from last year's class made that switch, you know, in terms of uh, what they do in the careers team, uh, what they do during the year? 
The good question. Actually, from the very beginning, the careers team starts working with the students very early, actually, pre-arrival. We get in touch with our students from about July. Or actually, the first email's gone out already in April um, with the ones who've got offers, etc. And we want to start working with them to identify their strengths, to understand their values, and to actually get to know themselves. And that's, I think, the most critical bit that we can ask students to do is between now and when they join us to actually pay attention to themselves, do a 360 analysis, ask their colleagues about what they think about themselves, get to know your own values and understand your strengths. So we ask them to do that quite early. Um, once they know that, they know which direction, which industry they want to focus on. And we also say that it's fine to focus on two or three and you know we don't expect people to come in with clear answers of where they want to go. Um, and once they're here, then we work with them on um, many different aspects. So where, whether it's de de developing their own professional um, development skills, their soft skills, or actually case practice, getting them to speak to people. So I think last year we certainly had a lot of people looking and doing consistently case practice because they knew they wanted to go into certain industries. And I'd like to emphasize here that actually case isn't something that you only need for consulting. You need it now pretty much everywhere. So we <clears throat> emphasize on that from the very beginning as well. Um, you know, tech companies also do case practice and they take snippets of it, etc. So it's really useful to understand how everything works um, and to put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. So I think students work really hard. They work hard with the careers team as well, but they also work uh, and engage with each other. And that's really um, the beauty of the program because the class is so... Uh, weld in. It's a, it's a decent uh, size of a class so they can actually get to know everybody and they uh, help each other uh, significantly and I think that we also, um, our students have a one-year program so they have um, bits of um, consulting exercises for them like the Cambridge Venture Project, the Global Consulting Project, so the students get um, practiced in how to work with people and in teams. Um, and then, of course, if they're going towards finance, we have finance-focused elements for them. So they work on the networks, they build their contacts, etc. And that's really what's driven last year's class um, to give us the results that we... Of course, it helps to have the opportunities out there, uh, and the opportunities were there uh, last year. Towards the end of the year, we started to see, you know, um, the meltdown in tech beginning to happen which is unfortunately continuing up until now. I think we're going to see some stable, stability in that now. Uh, but just to sort of say that, you know, um, it's a lot of preparation mm -hmm. that goes ahead into that. Yeah. And actually, we're going to listen to one of the students uh, from last year, Zhao, who talked about how he changed his directions. And I think that, you know, that's just one aspect because you, you, you mentioned so much. Uh, Sadia. So if we have uh, listened to how Zhao approached his year, what did he do during that year, um, then we can talk a bit more about how that, can, that kind of experience can be extended to other people. So let's, let's listen to Zhao. So before coming to the MBA, I was based out of London working for solar developers and asset manager. I didn't see much of a path uh, forward in terms of growth, uh, staying in my old role. So I thought it was the perfect time to, to apply for an MBA. So I'm pivoting into, into consulting after the MBA. 
and it's something that it would hardly have been done without, without the program. I had a little bit of a different idea on what direction I wanted to go. Finance was in the cards, but um, through the Cambridge network, I actually I, I got invited for, for an interview at a consulting company. So it was, I, I needed to come here to, to discover this, this side of me. So Sadia, that was Zhao's story about how he worked in solar, he came in, he thought he was going to go into finance, did this, and then suddenly he thought, hey, there's consulting going on, right? And the, can you tell us, is that quite a common thing where people come in thinking this is a certain path, but how do they realize that, hey, there's something else that they should be doing? So no, this is a really exciting part of my job and my team's job as well in our role. We see this transformation and transition happening in each of our classes. People come in with an expectation because that's what you've been exposed to, right? You think you're going to go down this track and then when you come into this mix of the class and you see people from all walks of life and then you meet companies telling them about what they do. Um, I think people's minds get excited. They sort of say, well, I, I could do this. Um, just to give you an example as well, um, just to start off, one of the first things we do when, when, uh, when we start our activities, we bring in a recruiter from private equity. And she's very well known. And, and the idea is really to talk to the students about, A, how um, strange the market is in private equity, because it's very funneled, but also the other opportunities which exist. So it doesn't all have to be around finance. It could be other aspects. And students who had previously never have considered PE would start looking at it. And it's not just about uh, looking at the secondaries market, et cetera, but actually about fundraising, marketing, talking to uh, corporate relations, et cetera. So there's many different aspects and students start to open their eyes and we see this happening a lot. It's a really exciting bit. And the, we also get quite a bit of a kick because we have students coming in saying, oh, I'm going definitely going into IB, definitely going to consulting. And then they've started a company of their own. Um, and, you know, and then they proceed to that. So that entrepreneurial uh, element is also uh, very exciting mm. for us. We'll come back to that entrepreneurship side and projects later, but I think it's time you can take a few questions. There are two questions from Rosalia da Garcia. I hope I got that right. So I'm going to, so Rosalia asks, were there any variances when it comes to gender? For example, are there more males in tech? And I think her second question is quite related. Are there any social or linguistics barriers in hiring? All our students who join us have a good quality of English, if that's what you mean. Um, so I don't think we have that element of linguistic barrier. Um, and if you're looking at gender, um, I have my own little frustration. Um, I could talk about that right now, but I, I don't think there is a barrier to people joining an industry. Whether we as um, women uh, sometimes put ourselves in positions where I, am, I sometimes get frustrated because I'd like to see more women uh, put themselves, uh, more of the class put themselves into VC roles or you know even put their uh, applications in. So that's the struggle I have. But actually, there are no barriers. People are looking to recruit across genders. I think certainly in the UK and I, across markets, there's certainly a very, very clear realization that we need to have a, a clearer representation of everybody. Yeah. And then that's, that's a great point, Sadia. 
And for those who are interested, you know, on the MBA, there's a lot of uh, opportunities to learn about things like unconscious bias, but also the role of stereotypes when people and, and the reinforcing aspects of stereotypes, not just in terms of how someone else might view you, but also how you view yourself. We've got here a comment from Tarquin Bennett-Cole. So Tarquin says the networking, both internal and external, is so valuable. Great cohort, excellent careers leadership. You know. I know Tarquin. Hello, Tarquin. Glad you're here. Um, uh, and yes, Tarquin is familiar with our um, cohort. Tarquin comes in and talks to students about the healthcare sector, and he's a recruiter within healthcare. So he comes in to talk to students directly and has one-on-ones with them. So he's quite familiar with that sector and our students as well. It's quite impressive. Mm. And we've got a question here from Romit who asks, is there a specific pathway or process for students to source companies for the global consulting project? So Sadi, you take this question and then I think after that we'll we'll hear from one of our students last year, Mary, Mary Rosita, who used the projects to really broaden her perspective. But first, Sadia. So the GCP um, is, ends up being quite a flagship uh, project, although I actually think CDP is quite interesting. But um, Global Consulting Project is something that everybody wants to do. Um, we have two ways um, of sourcing projects. The team, myself and my team, also uh, source projects, actually quite a lot of them, and with good good questions and these are live projects okay so these are questions which companies really want answering and then there's also an opportunity for students to source projects themselves and actually I will um, give last year's class uh, class of 21 22 uh, uh, a little bit of a chapeau here because last they did go um, and source a lot of projects in the games industry and now that's not a very automatic industry for everyone it's not a terrifically mba focused industry they had projects that they sourced with unity and a few others actually um and that they did they were uh, they completed those so there's quite a lot of space and uh, opportunity for you to carve out and personalize this mba um you know and and your experiences within we have a lot of big brands who come with and these days we're seeing a lot of focus on esg or, or uh, you know carbon-centric, moving away from carbon industry, how do we get more uh, ESG-focused, et cetera, projects coming across environmentally-focused projects. Um, But again, that changes all the time with whatever the latest is. So I suspect next year we're going to see a lot of AI. Mm. So um, we can now hear from our student from last year, Mary, Mary Rosita, who uh, came in and fully immersed herself uh, using the projects and she, you'll see that she went into a project which, just like what Sadia mentioned, is not quite your traditional MBA recruiter. So let's hear from Mary. I've been able to do different projects with different industries. For example, in my first semester, I had the Cambridge Friendship Project to work with a sustainability consulting company. And during the global consulting project, I work with Formula E where I consulted this motorsport world car championship. So all of this combined really helped me enrich my understanding of business and how to consult um, different problems and solutions across different um, industries. 
So Sadia, we, we just heard from Mary about the use of projects. How do you, what do you recommend to students when they are thinking about which project they want to go? Is it something that they feel, you, sh- you feel they should do very specific, very tied to their career goal, or should they open up and think more, more widely? It has to be a bit of both, I think. Um, it has to be, if you are moving away into a sector where you have absolutely no mentioned on your CV and that you'd like to veer into it, then I would suggest looking at sourcing a project. And typically this can and invariably is like um, you know, private equity, venture cap, etc. When people are trying to move in, it's quite a difficult sector to get in, to get some experience ahead of that, to try and source projects within it. If you have had experience of um, just pure marketing and no tech, then actually moving into that um, as well and looking and trying to pad out your CV with some mention of um, tech companies is useful. But also we encourage students to grow. And this whole program is about learning at every aspect. And actually being in Cambridge is all about learning. Um, So we'd like you to also expand um, your vision um, and learn about different sectors and learn about things where you haven't. So for instance, it's a great opportunity if you're coming purely from finance and if you want to remain in finance to experience something like social innovation or working within uh, the third economy. Uh, just And even we find people wanting to go and be based in Africa to, to have an impact or get some experience of impact. So I think it's a, a bit of both. Keep your eye on your career, but also be aware that, you know, you this is, this is, there, this is an opportunity to learn. Mm. So we have a few questions on finance itself. So let's start with Sohail. I hope I got your name right. Sohail asks, were you able to identify some trends within uh, finance, as in were there more opportunities in investment banking versus corporate finance? So last year, whereas we're talking about last year's report, we saw more of a... um, the investment banking element actually which would have been very significant for us previously had a little bit of a dip and we saw more people moving towards private equity and I think that was pent up demand uh, and then PE and VC was our our dominant um, uh, recruiter within within, uh, finance segment and then IB and then fintech. but now, uh, fintech would have also been a little bit higher, except we've seen the slowdown starting to happen in fintech from the end of last year. And as a result, there was some element of restructure. So there is an element, I think next year is going to be significantly different. Um, but fingers crossed for that. At the next year's report, we're sort of still seeing a lot of nervousness within fintech. We're still seeing a lot of nervousness. Certainly, you've seen the bloodbath happening within IB to some extent. Um, but I think. Uh, other sectors are beginning to pick up. There's certainly credit markets, money markets are certainly having a play. And uh, we will start seeing new trends being formed. I mean, there's a lot of um, venture creation activity happening, a lot of focus on um, funding, extra um, elements of SPACs, etc. So, you know, we're going to see something completely fresh. So, Aravin actually has two questions on finance. Let's say the first one. Um, What's the current trend of finance in the UK? Is the sector hit by higher inflation, recessionary environment? Is there anything you want to add to your previous answer? So I will say this. Yesterday I had, um, I was at an event where I met somebody who was working in an investment bank. 
and we have, I was aware that I have this, I knew that you, you would ask about finance, just trying to take a little bit of a, um, an understanding of what's going on. And she was also quite concerned about the fact a couple of things happening. One is there is no urgency right now in this situation to recruit for this year, um, but we will see that probably change. The other thing is that people aren't moving jobs. So there's an element of attrition not happening. People, there's a certain amount of uncertainty in the environment that people are not actually quitting their job to move away, so the vacancies aren't opening up. But we think, and this was um, something um, this lady told me as well, that come June, July, there'll be some elements of recruitment beginning to happen. Uh, it'll be a little bit delayed for this year, uh, normally, we would start have, uh, seeing this kind of element happen a little bit earlier. It'll be a little bit delayed, but we expect that we will be still in a very strong position by the end of um, this, not the economic year, the annual year. And Arvin has another question, which is, within finance, what roles did the previous class pursue? Were there any senior hires? That really depends on the experience uh, that you bring. Um, but there's, there were senior hires, I can't name them or tell you which industries, but they would have been within industry. So we have, if you're looking at finance, are you looking at particularly investment banking, then there would have been a few senior hires, but we are lo looking more about transitions as well. So people who would have come in from corporate finance or exit, they don't necessarily do an MBA just to stay within within corporate finance, they would want to move. This is, after all, the purpose of doing uh, an MBA is to transition and move out, like you've heard Howard's story as well. He came in with background as well in finance and then moved away, or thinking he would go into finance but moved away. So we've got uh, stories like that, but I think it's significantly, much more significantly about transitioning to sectors. Mm. And we, you know, when it comes to careers, we always focus a lot on what the wonderful work that you and your team does. But there's also the, a lot of things that can happen or benefits that people can, can get from the academic side. So we'll be listening to one of our alums, Noor, and it's kind of a good segue because uh, Noor comes from the finance, finance sector. And she talked uh, a lot about how she got that academic enrichment. Before we go there, I just wanted to um, put up, just ask Jose. Jose asked the question, what is the 6% of the employment report consist of? I'm not sure which one, what you're referring to, Jose. So if you can just pop in another comment to clarify which 6% that is, that would be great. We'll take that. Um, so let's hear from Noor about her transition. I kind of took the unconventional route. I um, studied industrial engineering at Kuwait University. Um, and then I went into banking at HSBC for around six years. And then I reached this inflection point in my career where I felt like I wanted to do something different. I wanted to explore FinTech. I was always like looking to further my education, whether it was through the CFA or an MBA. Um, but I knew this, the MBA would be a much more gratifying experience. And so once I was, you know, curious about fintech, I knew I kind of wanted to, you know, hone my skills further in the finance and business via the consulting projects and the, you know, the GCP and the CVP. I was able to um, not only learn a lot about how, it, how I work with others, but learn a lot about myself in the, in the process. 
Um, and so that was, um, that was, you know, great about my academic experience. So Sadia, Nur talks about all the wonderful learning that happens in the classroom. How do you suggest that people um, bring the classroom learning into their career search? Well, the MBA is, and Nur didn't mention this, but it's quite a lot of hard work. Um, and from starting from day one, and there's a lot of learning to be had there. You. So you're being uh, lots of. If you're coming from finance, you're suddenly being learning about organizational behavior. You're being taught about entrepreneurship. You're being taught so many different things that you've never been exposed to, possibly, or uh, you know, vice versa. If you're coming from a different field, so I think it's just being open about the learning, the experience, learning about strategy, learning about marketing, and bringing that to your own sphere to understand how you can develop them and what interests you as well. Because it could be that you've actually, after university, just gone into a career and then just moved along the straight line. But this is your opportunity to learn, not just in the classroom. We have really inspiring faculty, and our faculty do all kinds of research. And um, every month I get an email about the kinds of research that they're involved in. And I must say, it, it just takes me aback. Um, so we're looking at all different aspects of um, society as well as finance. And I think that's certainly a value. I think the classroom learning is there. You can't move away from it. It's the cohort learning together in the classroom that's really quite critical. We use quite a lot of case uh, as well, case teaching. So they will use um, uh, cases to teach you um, how to do strategy and develop ideas, etc. And actually the speakers who come in from entrepreneurship, etc., to tell you about how ideas have been taken forward and how to scale your company or etc. and how to raise money. These are all valuable learnings, even if you're not going to be an entrepreneur. So lots to take, lots to learn. Mm. We have this question from Lasady. Lasady asks, there are approximately 17 types of intelligence. Do you have uh, a trait, a quality you have seen? that's critical to success in career transitions? I haven't actually done that kind of detailed analysis on our students yet, so we do have some broad ideas of, I think there's a lot of, lot talked about intelligence, but I will say this, that um, the people who succeed are not necessarily the most intelligent or the most, on any scale. They are going to the people to be, there's an element of luck involved, admittedly, but there's an element of hard work. There's, you know, determined behavior, determined focused networking involved. So it is really not necessarily the best candidate who gets the job, but it is the person who has and who's done, who's just the right person there and then. So we haven't done as much detailed work on what traits make people good, but I would certainly say curiosity, diligence in work, working, you know, collaboratively with people. And there is also an element of, and I wanted to talk about this a little bit later, but I'll bring this up, but also being able to deal with ambiguity. That's a critical thing that's happening right now. People want to know if you can, you know, change your plans or change, um, because we're living in a very uncertain world, how quickly you can adapt. Uh, and I think that comes through as well. So whatever co intelligence that falls into, you know, dealing with ambiguity and dealing with, um, and the resilience that you show as well is very key. Mm. 
Thanks so much, Lasidi. I have to confess, I only know like two or three of those 17 types. So if you wish, you can write in the comments what are all 17 types of intelligence. Emotional intelligence is, of course, kind of critical for all walks of life, not just careers. So, you know, um, that's about dealing with people and how you work with teams, and those are always tested anyway. Mm. In, you know, we, a large number of our students went into industry, and within industry, there was a lot of hiring and for technology, etc. People want to go into product, product management. So we're going to hear a bit from... Um, one of our students, Ed, Ed Bolson, who moved into t the tech sector. And I think after that, Sadia, if you could talk a bit about whether that experience is quite common, you know, or what are some of the things that people need to do if they want to move that into that transition. So let's hear from Ed. Before the MBA, I was working in finance um, and I wanted to change into something different, specifically moving into tech. Um, and so I've used the MBA to make that change. You know, I'm changing both industry and also the type of role that I'm doing there um, compared to what I was doing before. So the MBA has been really in instrumental in helping me to, to sort of make that, that jump. So the skills I've learned this year that are relevant to my job, you know, kind of incoming role are um, hard skills sort of around strategy, operations management, um, which are core courses in the MBA. Um, but then also um, things, soft skills like negotiations, t um, teamwork, understanding how other people you know work and how to get things done. I'm changing sector and I'm changing uh, role at the same time. So I want to go to a tech company that is like a little bit larger, more structured. So Sadia, Ed talked about how he's changing all this, right? Industry, roles. Um, What's your advice to people who are making that kind of multiple trans, uh, career transitions? So I remember when Ed came into the careers office to tell us about his success and quite early on actually, and I was a bit, we were all very thrilled for him. Um, he, he was quite determined in, in his direction quite from the very start. And I would say that if you want to make a transition uh, away and you haven't had a, a role to play in tech, for instance, um, I would really advise you to sort of start working on it from the beginning and actually even before you join the MBA. So you might have some time just ahead. I would encourage you to look at some internships or to try and see how the fit is. And these could be with early startups. And I think those are the best internships that you could get because, you know, you're really in there. You're being thrown into the hard end of, of doing things and you understand the processes. And that's something that will sell really well at any point on your CV. And you'll have a lot of interesting stories to talk about uh, in, in your interviews. So I would sort of say being a big, bit more prepared from the beginning if you want to make a critical transition like that and if you haven't got tech on your CV yet. But also um, making expanding your network quite deliberately, but looking at the people whom you've worked with before, um, people who might be a natural fit for you, whom you can ask for just for a connection. I'd also encourage people, because we have a lot of students who are moving from abroad to the UK for, for the MBA, to sort of not forget that you know your company will have people here, um, and to connect with them as well, to expand the network, 
And it's never going to be your immediate network that helps you. It's the weaker links that you create around you who are going to be able to promote you and help you move on. So I'd like you to explore that. We talk a lot about that later on in when, you, when people are here in the MBA about building the networks and how to grow them. Uh, but if you wanted some advice from me, about, especially about moving into two, so I'm going to point out two sectors in particular. One is impact. You, for impact careers, you need to show a passion and to show that you are actually interested in it. So people do want to see some evidence that you've done something, whether it's a project in your office uh, that leads to some kind of impactful outcome, or if it's tech, then they want to be able to see that there is a real you know, motivation. Mm. So those are my two tips. <laughs> Yeah, and these are really useful things, and I think it also quite relevant. You know, this idea of networking, using things outside your traditional playbook to expand your network, can really help. And I think if people are coming to an MBA in a university like Cambridge, one big opportunity is through clubs. So we'll this we'll hear from Zhao again. Zhao, if you remember, he changed direction. And he did, he was also very active in one of our co-curricular clubs that was across the university that probably helped him quite a bit in his career transition. So let's hear from Zhao again. I was the vice president of the Cambridge University Energy Network, which is a society that was founded by MBAs uh, a while back. And it, it was great. We um, it exceeded our expectations. Um, you know, it's, it's a university conference and we had people coming, you know, climbing up from London uh, just to attend. And, and the, um, the magnitude of speakers that we had was, was quite heavy. It was probably my proudest accomplishment here in Cambridge. I, you know, I have a background in energy and renewables. I've been working on renewables for the past seven years and, and that's the industry that I want to go back to. And, and that was never, never a question in my mind. It was just the, um, the question was how I would get back to that. And it turns out that I'm going to a firm which is widely recognized for doing energy consultancy as well. So, Sadia, do you want to talk a bit about how students can use not just the wonderful resources within the business school, but the wider network? So, what I was talk talking about is the Cambridge University Energy Network. A network, yes. And they have an annual conference. And I think pivoting and, and leveraging these networks is kind of critical. We have a lot of networks. I mean, Cambridge is a huge place. And actually trying to understand it is, I don't know if you can ever. Um, but what it, it has within it pockets of so special, especially specialisms everywhere. And actually trying to tap these is very important. My colleagues and I are always talking to students because we realize you're coming from outside and getting a quick snapshot of what's available is really important to be doing it quite rather quickly. So um, we take you through some of them. We can connect you. We'll introduce you to, to some of the networks. There are special interest groups at the business school. There are in the university clubs. To be part of these is integral. And actually, there's a lot of activity that happens within colleges as well. So being part of that integrated network of colleges, understanding and working and sitting next to somebody who's doing a totally different subject to you is really important. 
there's uh, I, I can't stop I love this topic very much but I think uh, we also have something called Ignite which starts off quite early and gives students the opportunity and it's not assessed so it's kind of cool uh, to work across the university on uh, developing a, a product or a new strategy or a service etc and they do about three or four projects a year MBAs are always welcome uh, to join those because you're bringing the sort of business commercial mindset to a problem statement so there are lots of opportunities to work but you really have to get on these opportunities quite quickly because it's a, it's a, only a year and it goes very quick thanks Sadia we have a question from David who asked what about age are there um, senior profiles is there any bias in recruiting and Sadia, I'd like you to you know, answer this question, but also if you can talk about how people could overcome some of the stereotypes that might be associated with age. So whether that's someone who may be seen as too young or someone who's seen as too old. So I will, um, we, have, we have a six, seven year MBA profile, but we start recruit, we've got students with two years work experience, three years, and they go up and they span up to about 14, 15 years, I think, um, experience. And I haven't seen that because you're actually applying on the basis of your experience. So people are viewing you on your experience. There is one aspect um, that if you have so much experience, then some of the internships may not be open to you because people already know, think that you, you, you know, internships might be open to people with less experience um, but that seems to be I think the only element of bias if you call it but it's not bias because they're actually trying to develop you um, that I've come across but I think when you're applying for jobs people are always looking at the experience and I don't think there's that much of a bias coming in at all yeah and I, I I'm reminded of one of our MBAs from several years ago, not too long ago actually, Melanie, who had a huge amount of experience, had a PhD, everything. I, I think she had a PhD. Um, but she came in and she still managed to make a career transition. She actually had to work really hard, etc. cetera. But she, she, and she was really focused in terms of what she wanted to do. So definitely, David and others, don't let your perceptions or other people's perceptions of your age or your work Absolutely experience. Absolutely not. Get, I mean, I've seen way. some good successes, actually. I'll talk about a different program here, the Masters in Finance. We had somebody who had a lot of experience um, uh, with in, M, in the MFIN program last year and came in, changed geography, of course, remained in the same sector and actually got a really good position, quite senior. So I wouldn't let that come in the way. Um, it's when you want to change too many things. Mm. So if you want to move, uh, I would suggest that you, we are just a little bit more realistic about the changes that we can accomplish within the year. And I also want to say one thing, that the next job after your MBA isn't the last job. It's just the first job of many, and it's your beginning of your career, really, in a way, post-MBA. So don't view it as, oh, this is it. And we've got uh, a question from Vimal. Vimal says, it's nice to see you again. This year's employment report shows even more students going into consulting. Recently, I've learned from consulting professionals that the scenario is not that great at present. Any thoughts on this? Yes, it's not. I mean, last year was quite a robust market, very, very strong across all business schools. And, you know, we all know that. And it was a bit of, as I mentioned earlier, it was a, a recovery mode uh, from... Um, from two things, Brexit, we've had both long Brexit and long COVID. 
So uh, recovery from that, and I think right now where we are, uh, and we speak to consultancies all the time, there's a little bit, there is, uh, sig- there is a slowdown. People aren't recruiting as heavily as they did last year, it was huge. Um, and But that doesn't mean that, that our students are still getting interviews. You know, we, the other thing is we, we get caught up with the MBBs or we get caught up with uh, consulting, um, st- strategy consulting, but actually consulting is wide. It is, there's so many different types of consulting. And actually, when you find out more about it, there's ops consulting, there's supply chain consulting, and all these are beginning to develop. There's a lot happening around digital and tech. Uh, In fact, a lot more happening around digital and tech. And I think those are going to be the next movers and shakers. M&A is still happening. So maybe strategy consulting per se is going to slow down a bit, but the others will carry on moving slowly and gently. So yes, that's fine. It depends. We have a question from someone on LinkedIn. With the economy in the Middle East booming at the moment, especially in the UAE and Saudi Arabia, do you see a lot of interest from companies to hire into those regions? So, a couple of stories there. Of course, UK GDP, particularly right now, is low and, and, you know, it's probably going to recover now, uh, but next year, not till next year. So we are looking at other geographies and our students are looking at other geographies as well, which are interesting. So what we are finding is, again, within the Middle East, it's very exciting. But again, Middle East is actually quite saturated in some points. There are some markets which are growing phenomenally and others which seem to be kind of moving in a different direction. I was just on a call with somebody from Dubai and um, just earlier today and the consulting side is fine because... Now, in Saudi Arabia, you're looking to recruit directly into Saudi Arabia, into Riyadh, in Jeddah, uh, for consultancies. But actually, what's happening in Dubai is a lot more agribusiness-focused, or startup community happening. So we have different elements growing across the region. And yes, people are looking to Saudi. Um, you've got the big companies looking to recruit across, not just in Dubai, but actually across the region in the Middle East. And many of our students have got offers there. Great stuff, Sally. We've only got a few more minutes, so we'll do like lightning round with some some comments. Uh, Rosalia says, totally agree. Faculty at CJPS are very inspiring. So thank you so much, Rosalia. Uh, Lasady, you've given us all 17. <laughs> and I'll, I'll have to look at it again I after this. Yes. Yeah. Um, someone on LinkedIn says, I can recommend the CJPS MBA having worked with MBA candidates to carry out some market research for one of my startups in 2005. So that could be the Cambridge Venture Project, for example. Yeah. Um, And someone from LinkedIn asks, can you talk a bit about how the career sentence helps international students get visas in the UK or Europe? Um, we, uh, We don't actively pay a role in visas because this is not in our control but we are educated about visas and we can inform the companies about the visa situation and I'm actually doing something like that right now Um, but right now actually the environment and we didn't discuss this but actually we've had a a phenomenal increase well we we have a huge transition of people our students who join us um, 68% of the, them um, move location and of the 68% 80% stay in the UK um, and UK has this opportunity for two year um, stint or, you know you can do a 
without a skilled visa, you can be here for two years post your FBA, and that's really been a really nice landing spot um, for a lot of our students. And this is a good change, and I hope it stays, and the government doesn't move that away again. Um, so that helps the students, actually gives them a little bit more freedom to breathe and not having to rush and make decisions about which jobs they go into and their visas being tied. But we, we will advise you. We can't necessarily, um, we'll educate you more than that. And the final question, so this one, I think both of us will, will we'll take that. So Rosalia's question is, um, what's the advantage of CJBS MBA compared to others? So maybe I'll start very quick. And then over to you, started like 20, 30 seconds, right? So I think the, the advantage is really the community that you'll be joining. It's not just the 200 students in the classroom that will be in your cohort. In fact, this is the weekend that last year's class are coming back. And we can see the kinds of friendship, the kind of support that each other, each of one of them gives, gives them, right? And it's all about that strong ties the community, so that everybody wants to see each one succeed, so that you know the whole community goes up. And you see that spirit, not just within the business school, but across the university. And I'm sure tomorrow when I see the graduates, they will tell me all the stories about how they got support from alumni in any of those places that they went. So that's my take. Sandra. Mine is, because you can't shut me about, about this, but I would also say, uh, apart from everything else, class size and the type that's built in where we are, uh, it's a phenomenal university, and I don't have to say more than that, and the opportunities that exist around here to learn, and I keep emphasizing the word learn here because it is really important that you come in with that mindset as well. Uh, I think it's a great building. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful building to be in, and by. it's very inspiring. People are good. The cohort size is just perfect to get to know everybody and to understand and how to work with each other. So I, I could go on, but I'll stop there. Well, thank you so much, Sadia, for um, sharing with us the employment report. But also, more importantly, I always say it's the stories behind the numbers that's important. So that's the real power. And if you're looking to do a career transition, I hope that you obviously look at the employment report, but think about those stories think about how they can, can apply to you. So thank you very much, Sadia. Thank you, Conrad. Happy and to be here. Thank you all for watching. The balance sheet will be back next week, same time, 12.45 p.m. UK time, where we will be joined by one of our alums, Anna Grant. Anna made her own career transition from a science research background to working in all sorts of big pharma. So join us if you want to hear about that, if you're interested in biotech, in pharma, and also if you are uh, in a startup and you want to know what it, that person across the table, that big pharma uh, investor is thinking across the table, join us there. Till then, stay safe. See you next time. <laughs>